Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Good times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is June 25th, 2014. This is episode 1375 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I've got a good one for you today. Uh, longtime friend, haven't heard from him until very recently, though, for a long time, named uh, John Bush. Uh, maybe you call him John Boucher because he actually has an E with a little apostrophe thingy, but I think everybody I know calls him Bush. Um, different than the John Bush you guys know. We'll even joke a little bit about that when I get John on the air. Uh, but he runs a company called AdBongo, and they specialize in zero waste, and he's here to talk about what's being done with zero waste technologies at the municipal level and at the company level and how it's actually profitable to go zero waste. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is westernbotanicals.com. I rely on Western Botanicals for my herbal needs, and I think you should as well. And I'll tell you why. Number one selection. If you can think of it, they've got it. If it's herbal and it's available in America legally, they have it. That's all I can say to that. It's all organically grown and wildcrafted, and they're real people that really care about you. If you need some help, pick up the phone, give them a call, and talk to them about what you're looking for. Uh, and they can help you make the right choice. Like Again, I always say this, but it's true. There are real people there that really care about you. They're not some order entry, uh, customer service, third-party thing. You're talking to the folks that actually run the company, and they'll do what they can to help you out every single time. Next up today is J.M. Bullion. J.M. Bullion is my choice for silver and gold, and I think that should be your choice too. They have better pricing than Monix and Atmex, and you know what? When I can talk to the president of a company... It's the kind of company I like to deal with. They've got some really cool stuff. I just got some of my shipwreck silver in. You can check that out and a bunch of other things at jmbullion.com. Remember that JM Bullion and Western Botanicals both have great discount programs for members of my support brigade. Uh, JM gives you a discount on orders over 300 and a bigger one on orders over 1,000. Western Botanicals gives away their $50 annual membership, which gives you 25% off all products for free to all members of the support brigade. And they even give it to non-support brigade members for half price or 25 bucks. So check out both of them today and remember to check for your MSB discount whenever you buy from a sponsor. Not all of our sponsors do MSB discounts. Most of them do. And there's another 20-odd companies that give discounts in addition to our sponsors in the MSB. So when you're buying anything in the preparedness world, from guns to gardening and anything in between, if you're an MSB member, check for a discount. If you're not a member, that's just one reason to check for a discount. You'll also get a lot of great content that's available nowhere else, and you'll help support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. If you'd like to join the Member Support Brigade, please consider doing so today. Just go to survivalpodcast.com, click on Members. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters. All of you guys qualify for a discount. Just email me, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com is the email. Again, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com is the email. Service discount goes in the subject line, one or two sentences about your service before you join, not after, and I will respond to you with an email telling you how to save money on an already great product where you can support my show. With that, let's get into the year that was the episode. The year is 1375. Man, it was another one of those years where, like, man, there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about here. But when I read the last one from Alex Shrug today, there's three segments. One is... Uh, 
One is on uh, one too many drinks in India, and uh, there's another one on Count Sue's War. But the third one, that has to do with the Black Death, the third one is China, be brief or be beaten. <laughs> Listen to this one. Again, this, these are from Alex Shrugged. They're at the TSP Survival Wiki, tspwiki.com, where you can learn all about preparedness. You can also be a contributor there and help make the wiki even better than it already is, an encyclopedia of preparedness and knowledge. Um, but we also have our history segment that's published there every day. And uh, this one from Alex Shrugged, who publishes them, China, be brief or be be beaten. <laughs> the Ming Dynasty has only recently thrown out the Mongols and taken control of China. Emperor Hong Wu wants to lessen the amount of correspondence being sent to him and others in the bureaucracy, so he has demanded that officials send him example letters of official correspondence. Templates. Ro, Ru Tai Su, a bureau secretary of the Ministry of Justice, has sent the emperor a memo or further reforms that could be implemented. The memo is exceedingly long, so long, in fact, that by the time the emperor gets to the 16,000 370th word, it is almost time for bed. The emperor is so angry that he has Rousseau beaten before the court and flogged for wasting the emperor's time with such flowery language. Then the emperor reads the last 500 words of the memo and is amazed. He agrees with four of the five suggestions. The emperor has the last 500 words copied as an example of text and warns bureaucrats to stop using elegant prose and get to the point. Alex says, in writing these history segments, it's the most difficult task to get to the point. The majority of the editing time is taken up reducing the number of words and reshaping the text to be clear as possible and as few as words as possible for your listening audience. That means speaking the text as well as reading it over and over again, looking for ways to improve. At some point, I may give up the effort and move on. My virtue is also my failure. Sometimes I don't know when to quit. Alex, please don't quit, man. We love what you do. And if you need to cut your segments from, uh, you know, giving me three to pick from and give me one or two, please do so. Love having you here. And if it's too long, I'll cut it. I won't have you flogged and beaten in front of the TSP court. But let me say why I picked this one today. I love this one. Um, I am not a fan of any politician, as most of you know. Uh, when people ask me who I thought the last good president of the United States is, it's kind of like Ike sort of kind of liked Ike, but not really. And I guess we're going back to Andrew Jackson, you know, that at least threw the bankers out. And, boy, he made a lot of mistakes, too. So, you know, I've never been a fan of politicians. I have to say they've certainly gotten worse in the last hundred years than they were in the first hundred and some odd years. But uh, Ronald Reagan is a guy that, while, you know, and he's the, the, the guy that the conservatives hold up as an example of how to run a country, even though he increased the debt more than any other president before him and put the largest tax increase on the American people in the history of the nation. To this date, that's still true. That's how he, quote-unquote, saved Social Security. But when I see a person do something and I, I admire it, uh, I learn from it whether I like the individual heavily or not. Reagan is the modern example of this, though he didn't have people beaten. Reagan had what he called the one-page memo. Uh, he began that practice in California when he was governor, and that carried him to the White House. When he was roundtabling, he liked to hash out different points of view on an issue uh, with his advisors. He relied on a managerial device to drive the process home, a one-page memo. He required his officials and staff to boil an issue into a one-page format with the following four elements, the issues, the facts, reasoning, and recommendations. His uh, cabinet secretary, William Clark, uh, helped develop the routine. 
And uh, he, Clark said famously it's, it, that almost any issue could be reduced to a single page. And doing this, Reagan would make as many as eight decisions in an hour, and decisions at the level of a governor or a president. I think a lot of CEOs could learn from this. And it, this is my take on long analysis and crap like that. These are people covering their ass. They're trying to give enough information to look like they know what's going on, either because they don't or they're part of the problem. They're trying to hide the fact that they're part of the problem. Um, I always say get to the point. When I'm dealing with something in business and somebody's like, well, see, there's this and there's that. And there's, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Let's get to the point so we can make a decision. Um, if you want to be an effective leader, not only do you need to be able to get to the point, But you need to know how to, can, you know, to bring others around to getting to the point. To make the, see, and the way you do that is you make them feel safe getting to the point. Instead of beating them, you know, you don't have them flogged in front of the TSP court. Say, look, just get to the point. What do you think we should do and why? We'll see there's no, no, no. Just start out with what you think we should do and then give me two sentences as to why. And if I need more, I'll ask you. Because I might trust you enough to take your recommendation if you'll just make it. It's the other thing is, you know, that's how I manage my calls. That's how I say to send an email. Ask your question, make your point, then give me your details. There's a reason. And I have to say, it is something that over the years as I was coming up in business and looking for different techniques to make myself effective and be able to rapidly make choices and implement them, that I did pick that up based on my knowledge of Ronald Reagan. Anyway, <laughs> that's almost like a confession. I, I did something Reagan did. Okay. Anyway, actually, there's a lot of things I did like about Reagan. For everything I didn't like, there was something I did. Anyway, um, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. It's my uh, pleasure now to, to bring uh, my good friend, John Bush, of that bongo, onto the Survival Podcast. With that, hey, John, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. John, you uh you are part of at Bongo, which is an awesome company. I actually worked with you guys in the past doing some consulting. Some people are a little bit familiar with that from stuff we some stuff I put out about that. A lot of people have no idea who is John Bush because you're not the John Bush from Austin that does Bitcoin. You're a different and that's been arrested like 800 times. You're a different John Bush at Bongo is a different animal. So can you tell us just a little bit about your background? how you ended up being part of Ed Bongo and, and, and the elevator speech on what Ed Bongo is. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there was one time I was, I was talking to a, a government official in Austin and, and she was like, you're John Bush. And I was like, yeah. You're like, did you get kicked out of city hall? I was like, no. <laughs> so that's, that's the first time I learned about the other John Bush. You've got an E after the H in your name, and he's just Bush with an H. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just threw that letter in the, with an apostrophe to throw off the tracking a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I am a, a Marine veteran, and uh, after I got out of the military, I studied advertising, and when I studied advertising at SM, I was like. We were going through these fictitious, um, well, the processes were real, but we were doing them for fictitious companies. And it was kind of a full integrated marketing campaign process. And I thought, man, why aren't we doing all this uh, for local businesses that need help instead of just doing dry runs for imaginary companies? So, so that's kind of, and that question didn't make my professor too happy, but that's kind of where I got the idea for Ad Bongo was studying Uh, the processes that get the, the largest brands in the world out there to the masses 
it's a uh, mass communication design and uh, my dream was just to use uh, our local student resources to help local businesses and to create economics so that kind of launched my my entrepreneur journey and after I graduated you know I got a couple internships with some uh, uh, graphic design company and a uh, a startup called American Construction Benefits Group, and I, I got inspired and got my first client there and uh, threw all my stuff in a truck and went to Austin and, uh, you know, just kind of had a, a really good couple years there developing uh, AdBongo, and, and at first I was just taking any work I could get doing uh, logos or websites or commercials, and uh, basically the city of Austin in 2008 adopted a policy of zero waste and invited the local business community to participate. And so I started going to the meetings and noticed there weren't a whole lot of businesses there. And um, a problem they were having, I heard straight from the horse's mouth, Bob Getter is the director of resource recovery, which used to be sanitation. So that's what happens when cities go zero waste or sanitation departments kind of go from waste to resources, um, thus resource recovery. Anyways, he's like, the problem with our zero waste plan is, is we still don't really know how to make the economics work. So I was like, yay. Well, I started at Bongo to kind of create some economics and um, uh, so I started just designing a business, applying permaculture to business design pretty much. I didn't know how to articulate it back then, but that's what I was doing. And uh, just kind of created and designed a company to fill the gaps in Austin's plan. So if you go to the city of Austin's website, um, to the resource recovery website on Austin's page, you'll see a you can download the zero waste master plan and see what a municipal zero waste plan looks like. It was uh, the consultant they hired for that was Gary List, who's um, one of my teachers, and uh, I'm an apprentice of his. And Gary's done more zero waste plans than anyone in the U.S. And um, so, pretty much, I just kind of designed that bongo to fill the gaps and to create. Um, some of the, the economics needed for zero waste to work uh, locally. It's pretty much a conversation between the waste companies who realize that waste is worth a lot of money, that we're throwing away money, and the city that understands we're throwing away money. But really the missing piece is the, the local businesses that can reuse that waste stream locally uh, to make goods and services. This is a conversation about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., green jobs, um, zero waste is based on reuse, which creates 7.5 to 25 times more jobs than recycling. So this Can we just like back up for a second, just so everybody understands this? Can we just start out with what is zero waste? Is it what it sounds like? Can you actually get there? Is it a goal? What exactly makes a system a zero waste system? Uh, yeah, zero, zero waste is a goal. And um, it also turns out to be a, a permaculture principle. So uh, 
it's pretty much a goal that's ethical, economical, efficient, and visionary uh, to guide the people in changing their lifestyles and practices to emulate sustainable natural cycles where all discarded materials are designed to become resources for others. So it means designing and managing products and processes to systematically avoid and eliminate the volume and toxicity of waste and materials, conserve and recover all resources and not burn or bury them. It's really important here in Texas, especially, you know, we start going, oh, trash is worth money. Let's just burn it and make some freaking diesel, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so there, there's a lot of groups um, that will come for your jugular if you're a municipality or a, a business that decides to, to bury those resources because or, or burn or bury them. If, if you burn the resources, you can't reuse them. And if you're reusing them, then you got that tax base that keeps coming back every time you reuse it, you know? So if you burn it, it's gone forever. You tax it once, but it's gone. So um, implementing zero waste will eliminate all discharges to the land, water, and air that are a threat to planetary, human, animal, or plant health. So it's pretty much uh, a, a, the key to a sustainable economy. If you ask me, permaculture is awesome. I'm a permaculture designer certified but um, I specialize in zero waste because it's kind of the economic piece of permaculture, if you ask me. That's what uh, cities are doing all over the world, uh, major cities. Um, I have, have, have set the goal of, of zero waste, and um, businesses also are leading the way. Apple, Toyota, Hewlett-Packard um, are all zero waste, Xerox, and then communities, um, like Seattle, Chicago, Toronto, Buenos Aires, Sedona, Boulder, and uh, Austin, and now uh, Dallas. After you helped me, and um, we we actually did training in in Dallas, and at the beginning of 2012, and the next month, uh, Dallas uh, pretty much adopted zero waste, and uh, Fort Worth uh, issued an RFP in uh, February of this year after we, we went and met with, uh, uh, the assistant to the mayor and some other people from TCU. So Fort Worth is going zero waste. Dallas is going zero waste. And pretty much what I do is I'm an, I'm an advocate. I, I specialize in outreach and advocacy. I basically, uh, have been helping businesses for eight years, but we've, we've switched our target market to municipalities and, um, we're gearing up to basically make the whole state of Texas zero waste and then scaling from, from there. Very cool. So can you talk about some of the benefits to either a business or a municipality that goes zero waste? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it increases efficiency, uh, lowers cost, it improves morale, uh, gives you a marketing edge. Now you're greener than green. You're you're actually mimicking nature. Um, so increased efficiency, lower costs, more profits, uh, better for the environment, more jobs. Uh, it's just kind of a, a one goal that changes everything. And you just set the goal up front, and and you know the next thing you know you got a radically sustainable business. And so uh, I've been kind of running some experiments last. Last year, we put five local businesses through uh, the journalism school at UNT and the advertising school at SMU. I finally reached my dream last year of, of harnessing those um, 
student resources and, and started using those, those resources to affordably design local businesses for zero waste. So it's, it's really a, a design process. It's applying permaculture to uh, business design or, or applying permaculture to the design of an entire city. So, um, and uh, the benefits are, are many. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, you, you talk about cutting costs, but can you talk about maybe some ways you actually can generate profit? Because it's one thing to cut a cost. And it's another thing to generate a profit. And I have a feeling, especially when you're dealing with municipalities, it may be more important to be able to show a revenue in than just a cost cut because, well, how do I put this without sounding like a complete ass like I am? When a municipality spends money, they're not spending their money. They're spending my money and all the other citizens of that municipality's money. And people tend to be pretty free with spending other people's money. But when it comes to how do we get more money in so that we can do more of the things we want to do, they tend to be a little bit more open to that. And in a business, if you want to tell a business you can cut their costs, every other consultant that, that the phone rings from says they can do that. When you start talking about new revenue streams, in addition to cost cutting, that gets really, really exciting. So what are some of the ways you can actually transform what was waste, not just into a reduction in cost, but into a profit stream? Yeah, well, it, it depends on what kind of business it is or, you know, basically what the specific waste streams are uh, being produced. So kind of the first step is to go in and do kind of an energy audit and to analyze the waste and, and figure out um, what's there to work with. But zero waste plans are, are paid for usually with the avoided cost of disposal. So if you take like City of Dallas, for example, the, the millions of dollars that they're spending to waste and just move it uh, to, to, to reuse, then that's, that's what pays for it. So it's more like an allocation, a reallocation of the budget from buying the wrong thing to buying the right thing. And so if you have, say, if you're a manufacturer and you have like a whole bunch of scrap metal or, or scrap plastic and you were paying to landfill it, now you can find uh, another manufacturer that uses your output as an input and, and sell it to them. You know, so it's, it's really a, 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 a industrial symbiosis, like lining up, uh, components of an ecosystem so that the inputs and outputs are being directed efficiently. Does, it, does that make sense? It makes, it makes complete sense. Um, but when you move into the world of business, you actually start to take the, 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 the cost savings into a true profit mode or to be able to use one business's waste to create another business in kind of an incubator model, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely, I call it an accelerator, which is um, a variation of an incubator model. And incubators also create a crap ton of economics. They create 20 times more jobs than other public infrastructure projects. And uh, so, you know, you kind of co combine the concept of incubating uh, and, and zero waste, and you got economic sparks. So, again, um, 
as a designer, you know, the problem that I encountered in the real life example of Austin, Texas was how do you create the, the, the economics? Well, you, you, you make uh, an incubator situation for, for businesses that are zero waste and help them out, <laughs> give them resources like students that are designing integrated marketing plans so they don't have to go pay, pay $200,000 from a large ad agency, you know, and just start using your brains and um you know so so that's been that's a rabbit hole and a conversation in itself you know the different experiments we've run and the results and what we've kind of identified as design flaws in the debt economy and um they're they're numerous and so just working diligently to build the new resource economy while still having a foot in the debt economy and having to accommodate you know, people that want to hear that kind of language and <laughs> and things. So it's really kind of a multi-dimensional uh, conversation. You have to tailor it for the audience. Can you talk about businesses that that have done this, and maybe not just that? Because like we talked about, it's not just a goal, or it's not just a, a thing. Like, in other words, if I say I'm going to take my company to a zero waste model, well, it's not going to be zero waste tomorrow. But I've gone on that path today. So some of the companies that have managed to do this or get close to the goal and what what they've specifically done and what rewards they're 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 gaining from doing this. Uh yeah, so uh I just heard a case study about Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Um do you do you ever drink that beer? Uh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so there's zero waste and actually uh there's sustainability directors on the board of the US Zero Waste Business council of of which i'm a founding member as well but uh so so they they are almost almost to zero waste and uh pretty much the the going um what they say is 90 percent diversion equals zero waste so i know 90 percent is not zero but if you get up to 90 percent uh then you're considered zero waste and uh, there's another school of thought that says, hey, if you just set the goal, uh, then you're zero waste. So mm. uh, for, for small businesses like like ourselves, where we don't probably generate a lot of waste in the first place, you know, setting the goal for us, you know, easily qualifies as zero waste. Whereas if you're a large manufacturer, you know, you it's that 90 percent diversion conversation. But uh so, so Sierra Nevada went zero waste, and they're saving about nine hundred thousand to a million bucks a year so far. So that's wow. that's the direct. Uh, not to mention, they get to the bragging rights of being a zero waste brewing company. And um, there's a, there's actually an example of a zero waste brewer in, in Nambia, Africa, and and um, I don't have the specifics in front of me, but they're they're creating a crap ton more jobs than a traditional brewer. So um, not only do they get that, that million dollars, they, they created, you know, jobs and, and get the marketing edge and all that stuff. What they didn't, I did raise my hand and ask about, you know, if, if they were conserving rainwater and all that stuff, and they weren't. So, you know, the, the, the permaculture conversation inside of the zero waste, um, you know, crowd is, is – I'm, I'm pretty much the only permaculture designer that I know of. 
uh, in there. So I'm, you know, an advocate for permaculture and, and saying, hey, maybe we should think about water as a waste category uh, in addition to the, the 12 other market cat- categories, which are like plastics, woods, compressible, ceramics, uh, metals, things like that. So adding water uh, is just kind of a addition that, that I would like to see um, in there. And uh, so, so that's that's one example. Another good example I just heard uh, the facility manager um, of the uh, uh, new new Braves Stadium in Atlanta, Atlanta Zero Waste. They they created um, a zero a zero waste zone uh, for for the city, and um, it's the first of its kind. Uh, the uh, based, this is based on civic ecology. And uh, their airport is zero waste, and the new facility uh, for the Braves is, is going to be zero waste. That manager came from Seattle and had just uh, pimped out and made the Mariners uh, stadium zero waste. And I saw the numbers on that, and they're definitely saving like, you know, $3 million, uh bucks a year, something like that. And um, it turns out, you know, that if you're going to hit a lot of people that aren't paying attention, the place to go to talk about stuff like this is a sports stadium. So yeah. so that's kind of like a, a strategy that I was really happy to hear. Uh, Just on that real quick before you go forward, you had a thing on your blog recently about, like, how much waste is being produced by the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so sports, sports are a really good uh, place to kind of hit up the muggles. If you know what I mean. So, so uh, I hope I didn't offend anyone there. But um, if you offend anybody with muggles, I'm, I just don't think we're talking to the right people anymore. Yeah. So, 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 so there's that Mariner Stadium, a couple million bucks, and then there's another uh, colleges. Uh, there's, there's a, I just heard Mike Carey, who's the, uh, sustainability coordinator at Orange Coast College, uh, in California. And California, by the way, has led the way for, uh, the rest of the states. And, uh, Austin is really the first city outside of Cali to adopt zero waste. They're really lucky to have Bob Geddert, who is a American hero, along with Gary Liss and Rick Anthony and all these other guys that, um, since the, 70s have been uh, propagating the right conversations for for our uh, economy, but uh, Orange Orange Coast College set up a uh, there's kind of a landfill replacement in this conversation. It's called a resource recovery park, which when you came and did that consulting uh, for me in like 2010, uh, that's kind of what we were selling to that county at the time was the concept of a of a a resource recovery park, if I recall correctly. And um, so Orange Coast College set up uh, a recycling facility, not quite a, a resource recovery park, but almost. And um, so did a couple other uh, entrepreneurs outside of the city. And fast forward, you know, 30 years, and the, the entrepreneurs got gobbled up by the powers that be, and the only recovery facility that's still around is the one that was on the campus because it was on sovereign land and protected. And uh, that recycling facility is making, you know, millions of dollars. It's student ran and um, just kind of a awesome model for what 
other colleges should do if they want to, you know, create money out of thin air and, you know, teach students how to, you know, bring manufacturing back to the U.S. and create green jobs. So um, pretty much uh, all the entities that I hear are doing this are making millions of dollars because of it. And, you know, businesses are really the ones leading the way. And they're really the ones that need to wake up and understand that if they don't pay attention to these conversations going on in their communities, that the last resource we have is could get stolen. So mm-hmm. if you look at uh, what happened with the city of Dallas, yeah, they were like, cool, zero waste. And then they tried to pass an ordinance called flow control, which means exactly what it says. <laughs> and uh, that went up to a federal judge. And a federal judge was like, Dallas, you're being greedy, and it got knocked back, so it's like game back on for Dallas. But Explain that, because I'm a little confused. Flow control, are you talking about water flow, or are you talking about the flow of the resources? Flow of the resources. And so a federal judge said Dallas was being greedy, no, 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 like no, controlling no. the flow of its own waste and reusing it? I'm no. confused. I'm confused here. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to talk too much uh, smack, but it, it really made me kind of sad to come home to my home city of Dallas and to pass the knowledge of zero waste that I accumulated in Austin and, and see him run with the ball in that direction. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the, the, the city, the, the powers that be, the mayor and sanitation, pretty much sanitation, um, you know, because the sanitation department can get, get nervous and be like, zero waste, what does that mean, you know, for sanitation? It, it means they're going to turn into resource recovery, really. It doesn't mean that they're going to be gone. But in this case, the sanitation department elected to not cooperate with the local business resources on hand that have actually been in a city that's done it and tried to pat and also ignored the uh, couple hundred constituents that were protesting <laughs> uh, from the college down the road from the landfill at McComas Bluff. And, um, yeah, so they tried to pass an ordinance called flow control, which just means that they would control all the resources would come to that one landfill. And um, it that people started raising hell because they're like, we don't want this. This is not good. And, and flow control without the economics in it isn't how zero waste is supposed to go down. So really, you know, flow control can work if it's economic flow control. But this wasn't economic flow control. This was just a move to, you know, uh, control resources, in my opinion, and also the federal judge's opinion uh, that the the ordinance went up to. So the, the the ordinance got stopped by a federal judge. That's what I'm saying. And wow. the, and in the article, I can send it to you. The the judge specifically said that Dallas was being greedy. So, so this was basically trying to force all of the waste into a landfill under the city's direct control, yeah. whether rather than finding appropriate channels for the various types of waste yeah. to be used as resources and repurposed. Right. Um, is that because the city just wanted to make money off of it, or yeah. is that because the city wanted to keep it as garbage so that they could protect the interest of the garbage man, let's say? No, it's it's because of the dollar signs. That okay. You know, they're, they're, they're basically a big behemoth that's, you know, collapsing under its own weight. And, you know, it, which is obvious to me, being that I'm a local entrepreneur doing the right thing and, and the way that they have cooperated is kind of uh, unsustainable, if you ask me. 
And the other thing that they did is they, they it was also in a, uh, I think, unfair park uh, issue of the Dallas Observer, uh, basically created kind of a questionable task force. So usually what happens when a, when a, when a city goes zero is, you know, like I just went into DeSoto's uh, City Hall a couple weeks ago and, and stood up at the end and just requested, I'm, I'm originally from DeSoto, uh, requested them to create a task force to just look at the merits of zero waste. So you kind of don't go in and, and start slamming it down the throat. You're like, hey, this is a concept. It creates jobs, increases efficiency. It's good for the environment. Take a look, create a task force. And then set the goal. Hopefully, if the if the data lines up, and it will. So, um, the the task force that the city of Dallas created, um, when those people had been contacted, it just kind of uh, they didn't really know what the conversations were. So it just kind of looked like a slapped together dummy task force to get the ordinance passed. Is what. Mm-hmm. So, so that 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 that's why permaculture and the ethics. See, zero waste doesn't have the ethics, but it's got the economics. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. There's money in it, but it doesn't mean it. You can have money in a lot of things without them being ethical. Yeah, yeah so and the same to... thing can be ethical one way and not ethical another way. I have a gun in my home. It's very ethical for me to defend my family or my neighbor with it, but it's very unethical for me to point it in your face and take your shit. Right, so it's not the thing that's ethical or unethical; it's the application of the thing. And what you're saying is that this zero-waste concept can be applied to a very ethical manner or it can be applied in an unethical manner. Yeah, yeah, it's and you know, what, what I like to say is I don't really care if they do the right thing for the wrong reasons, but it does, <laughs> it, it, it does suck when you put, when you're a small business and you take food off your children's table to, to do some things and people that are supposed to be working for you elect to do something that just delays the process for everybody, you know, so... These are the leaders that are running things, and it, it's just kind of sad. But I, I, personally, I, I need, as a researcher and observer, I, I've needed to go out there and just kind of see what the landscape is so I can plan because, you know, unlike them, I actually was a United States Marine. So if, if we need to play strategy, I can do that. And uh, I, I just I – just, you know, would like it to be collapsed. Yeah, and I don't know how much you want to touch on this, but there is resistance beyond just typical government resistance here because there's some level of protection of a fiefdom, I guess, is the way that some of this stuff goes. So it's up to you how deep you want to delve into that because it, it gets pretty harsh in some areas. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just really surprised to see how hostile the landscape is towards, you know, like my, my business is a is a one of, 800, 900 B Corps in the world, Benefits Corp. So I have a new kind of corporation that's beneficial and have been through the zero waste planning process in and, and Austin and now Dallas and Fort Worth. And I'm, I've got more training under the people that have designed most of the U.S.'s plans than anyone else in the world. So I'm a local resource that uh, lo- our local government should should use and so I'm putting myself out there and saying, hey, I'm at your service. And, and uh, it's just got to in the design of the relationships. Uh, we, we just kind of have to anticipate, you, you kind of have to anticipate, you know, th- how it's going to go based on previous observation and, and plan for it and design 
design things accordingly. So uh, at this point, eight years in, we've just have some infrastructure and some frameworks to go by as far as working with municipalities and um, we're, we're putting on training in the fall uh, on October 24th. We're doing a, a grassroots recycling network certified zero waste training in uh, the DFW area and we're looking for a municipal sponsor. So if anybody out there wants to take their city zero waste, uh, I can bring uh, Gary List and Rick Anthony, the, the, the fathers of zero waste in America, to your city, and uh, we can start training uh, training the people there and the, the government there and invite surrounding uh, counties. So uh, we're also doing a uh, PDC in the fall, um, and so part, part of this is just a training conversation, like train them and, and show them why there's more in it for them if they collaborate, you know, with their resources instead of, it's like if I walk into a room with, uh, to a dirty room with a broom, uh, you know, hopefully the people there will be smart enough to go, oh, look, John's got a broom, let him sweep. But what happens a lot is they go, ooh, we want that broom, let's make our own. And, and you, you know what I mean? It's like just put me where I go so I can help you clean the house, <laughs> you know? And, and so that's why resource efficiency is such an important conversation because we need to put our human resources where they fit in the ecosystem most efficiently and where we can get the highest and best use out of them. And the same thing with our local waste resources is like, what is the highest and best use? It's, the highest and best use is not burning. The highest and best use is, you know, making uh, art or manufactured goods. Upcycling, basically, is a word we like to use. So this is a conversation about upcycling your community, upcycling your business, and it, it really starts at, at home. And so I've been practicing, you know, for many years, and I definitely am nowhere near zero waste myself and as far as my household, but I'm definitely about half as uh, produce half as much waste as I did uh, a couple years ago. Can you talk about that too? Like how, because like we can wait for government to do shit and we can wait for companies to do shit, but what we actually control and we can influence government to a degree. And I think we can actually influence companies faster than government because we vote with dollars there. Um, but in our own homes, we have control. So what are some of the things a person can do to begin moving there? And I'd like to hear how you'd address certain things that I consider personally difficult. For instance, if I buy meat, it's going to come with styrofoam. I don't have a lot of use for styrofoam, and there's no recycling that's done in my area. Like, there's no recycling bin I can put out or what have you. There's certain things that if you order the house, they come with a lot of garbage that I don't have an easy way to get rid of. If it's cardboard, I can compost it, I can mulch over it. But if it's plastic and plastic wrap and styrofoam, it's difficult to get rid of. So other than just not buying stuff that comes that way, which will cut out an awful lot of things that I particularly want to own, how does the person in their home begin making this transition? Yeah, well, the most important thing is to take the wet organics out of the waste stream. So, you know, composting is, is really important. If, if you're sliming the local resources, it just takes a lot more energy to clean that, those resources. So um, a really important thing to do is 
take all your wet organics out of the waste stream and start composting. And as far as, uh, you know, packaging and, and things, it's like there's a, there's a Whole Foods down the road. I have, I have a little urban permaculture condo here in, in, in Dallas, and I live, uh, I'm blessed and live next to Whole Foods, which have, I can take my little growlers, uh, beer growlers, and, and fill, up, uh, fill them up with local beer off the tap, you know, and I don't have to make any can waste or, or bottle waste. And they also have a bulk. Uh, section so so you know some of these uh, restaurants and and um, supermarkets are, are are that are going zero waste are are will accommodate you you know because they're doing it so people might not have really paid attention to that bulk section or the the bring your growler and get some local beer section but now you know that those are there because Whole Foods is going zero waste and um, so. Slowly, we'll be seeing that happen. Uh, uh, most, probably, most of the waste that we create is almost thrown at us. But you know, I have uh, board meetings, and it took me a couple years, you know, to get them to to just take some Tupperware to the freaking uh, restaurant and have them throw it in a Tupperware container, which is like alien technology if you've been using styrofoam your whole life. <laughs> so it's, it really is a cultural change and. And, you know, something like just swapping the styrofoam for Tupperware seems like a pretty easy con- concept, but, you know, it'll take years to, to get that. Um, well, I mean, it makes sense day-to-day use, but what I'm talking about is there's a lot of stuff you buy yeah. that there's not another option to buy it yeah. in any way that won't come with plastic or styrofoam, at least not yet. Yeah. You know, how could a company like, let's say, um, Amazon.com, go zero waste and not just for amazon.com but make it possible for people on the other end of the receiving stream to to do more of the zero waste management or is that where the municipality has to step in and say okay look there's going to be waste styrofoam this is something that has to be dealt with on a larger level look this this is really a conversation of uh producer responsibility okay and uh you know some some businesses you know states are mandating uh, like Texas is, is definitely working on it, kind of a bottle bill conversation, at, you know, for, for, for other waste, um, like producer responsibility or producer take back. Like if, if they create some messy, uh, wasteful product, like they need to be responsible for the, the disposal of it. So, you know, sending batteries back, uh, sending, Diapers back, not that really doesn't happen. But <laughs> it, it, it really the hierarchy of zero waste, Jack, is is reduce, reuse, recycle. So the first step is actually to just reduce. Okay? Sure, that's that's going to take out most of the waste. So it's like stop buying from wasteful of uh, uh, producers and start demanding uh, better design and packaging and. The other conversation is is uh, of of the of the reduce. Hold on, I just had a a, a brain fart. Um, yeah, let me let me start over there. Um, so the the hierarchy is reduce, reuse, and recycle. You can uh, minimize most of your waste by just reducing it in the first place. So. 
uh, producer responsibility, producer take back is one avenue of approach. Uh, if you, if, if they're just making you take waste, um, or putting it in your packaging, you really got to have it. Um, then I, I keep wanting to go into this idea and I keep having the same brain part. I need to, ah, here it is. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, basically, uh, the way that Walmart did it, um, is, is they, they put all the burden of, they said, Hey, we're going zero waste. And this is to answer your question. Um, and, and they put about Amazon, they put the burden of getting there on, you know, the, the, the people that, that sell the product to Walmart. So Walmart goes zero waste and they say, Hey, uh, the burden is on you to get us there, you know, as far as the, the people that are producing the product. So Amazon could just say, hey, you know, if you want to sell your product on our store, it has to meet this criteria, you know. And um, and, and that's pretty much uh, uh, av avenue of approach for, you know, a, a big uh, store like that. Uh, going zero waste is it wouldn't necessarily be the store because they're not really creating the product. They're just selling it. I got you. I got yeah. it. Um, it is an interesting conundrum though, because there are, there's a lot of stuff that comes in our homes that we can't just individually recycle. I don't like, but there are options. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking of, there's a company I buy from called Harmony House and they sell dehydrated vegetables and they come in these big plastic jugs. Well, they put them in a cardboard box, and then to keep them from getting busted and cracked, they have those horrible little styrofoam peanuts in them. But these ones are made out of, like, soy re residue or something, and if you pour water on them, they just melt and disappear into basically a compost. Um, so th I guess there are ways if we got more creative and if we have consumers demanded it. And I had ever actually never seen anything like that. And then they kind of build themselves as being an eco-friendly company. So you open this box, and it's full of these things. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is real eco-friendly. But there's this little pamphlet they put right on the top when you open it that tells you, you know, basically it says what these things are. And it says, try it. Put one in a glass and see for yourself. And then you realize, oh, crap, I can get rid of this without making a big mess out of it. So I guess there are ways, and it's about us getting more creative with how we do things. And it, it can't cost them that much more than regular styrofoam because their shipping and handling isn't real high or anything. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of a you know do a little bit and 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 it's, it's small and slow, Jack. It's small and slow. So you know I started ripping apart uh, old computers and uh, taking taking the metals out and making things with the metals and. Um, the, the the styrofoam and the paper products that you create, I just I, I just have an aquaponic system out in, in the little 20 by 20 courtyard I have here at the condo, and uh, uh, basically used uh, something called Epic, which is uh, expanded polystyrene infused with cement. Essentially, cut down the bag. I, I would have needed 24 bags of concrete, which is a horrible material to build with. Any in, in itself, cut down the 24 bags of concrete to six bags of concrete, and the rest I use waste styrofoam and, and paper. And um, the the it, it's called Epic, and it's kind of a, a paper creator or styrofoam creed type type material, and it it's uh, lasts longer and is more sustainable. 
than than concrete. So, you know, I'm sitting here building aquaponics tanks with with waste styrofoam that uh, and I, I I didn't know how to do that until the guy that taught me his name's Dave Pennington. He's a, a local around here, um, one of my another teacher, and um, he's really good. Um, and and so so yeah, uh, basically batteries, charging your own batteries. I just bought a, a, a battery charger. I, I didn't realize I could, or I forgot. Uh, maybe at one point I knew, but uh, you can charge old batteries that aren't even rechargeable batteries. And um, you know, just slowly figuring out what your household is creating as a waste stream and figuring out how to use it during Christmas time. My my kids were. Uh, making bracelets with pop taps and I even figured out just in my little home R&D how to make a uh, paper a paperless business card by just putting a QR code in a bottle cap <laughs> and uh, um, that's preparing for uh, the financial portion of the zero waste suite we've put together um, and I'm working with uh, Xavier Hawk on that one uh, which is is kind of a zero waste credit uh, to help uh, incentivize and, and fund the, uh, the the resource economy, so uh, we right now we have to play with the governments. Let's get them over. But you know, there's some technology that's out right now that's going to make it happen. You know, no, whether they like it or not. And so, <laughs> you know, the best the best uh, option is really just to collaborate with people doing the right thing and stop trying to be uh, in control of of the uh, debt economy. You know, how can you how can you fund sustainability with debt? That's what I want to ask every city official that's listening that's in sustainability. Like if you have a sustainability program and you're funding it with debt, then, um, you know, there's something flawed in the design there. And uh, so, well, yeah, I mean, how can you actually be zero waste if you have debt? Because would not the interest accrued to your children be a waste? I mean, that's the way I look. I look at the interest on debt as a waste stream, right? Because it's it's a future energy product that you've already squandered today, and you've done it at the expense of the next generation. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, going into the city of Dallas, the uh, the guys that were uh, working with us was the economic development side of things. They were they were pretty pretty nice to us. Um, it's just that we couldn't get the sanitation department to collaborate on that conversation. And it turned out that the way that these resource recovery parks uh, could get funded is a concept known as a, a industrial bond. And, uh, you know, bonds are a debt instrument. And uh, so we started talking to economic development about it. And they're like, yeah, we haven't dusted off the industrial bond book in like 50 years. And uh, so it just got my team thinking about how, how do we make a sustainable bond? Is it even possible? You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, can we can we can we make an instrument to fund, uh, you know, our local economy based on local commodities like the gold standard or whatever? And, you know, out pops Bitcoin. And so we've developed uh, a, a product to to kind of do this this funding um, for the municipalities for the zero waste infrastructure, but it comes after 
the initial zero waste plan that we're selling. So it's kind of a zero waste suite and the funding part is last and it's it's basically like grow your own currency and, and tie it to local uh, commodities, which in uh, in a decentralized commodity exchange that's local. Um, just in, in Dallas, we did a, a crap calculator and uh, figured out that the value of, uh, of resources in Dallas that we're not tapping is about $300 million, which is which is why the city tried to pass that ordinance, flow control. But if if we as entrepreneurs and local businesses can um, figure out how to source those commodities, they're going to to these waste companies. They're going on a train and, and or plane and they're shipping them to to China. You know? Yeah. Like, like. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever done like an estimate? Of what is the total value of reharnessed waste if it was successfully reharvested in the United States? For instance, when I used to work in the telecommunications field, one of my companies did network optimization, and we had one of our guys that wrote, wrote the algorithms for you know math guy that did the algorithms for the predictive modeling that we sold as a software suite. So take your math and do something different with it. Go out and figure out, based on what we do to improve the efficiency of the network with capital deferrals and things, what is the total amount of money that wireless carriers are leaving behind on the table every year they don't have to spend? And we, we came up with a number that was breathtaking, uh, especially for that space. It was about 50 to $55 billion a year being spent in the total wireless communication space globally that never had to be spent or at least didn't have to be spent now that could be deferred as a capital deferral and better invested with better equipment later in the future. Have you guys ever taken like a SWAT at just what the value of waste in this nation is that's currently filling holes? Uh, Jack, I have not personally done a crap calculator for the whole country. Um, I have done one for Dallas, and it took quite a bit of, of resources to come up with that performa. But, uh, yeah, just in Dallas, uh, $300 million bucks. So multiply that by every city in the country. <laughs> well, I mean, what you could do is you do $300 million, right? And there's about 6 million people in the DFW Metroplex that probably at least have some effect on that. Yeah. Uh, so then you multiply that by 320 million people after you divide it by those 6 million, and you get at least just in municipalities about $1.6 billion. Uh, and it's probably or about $16 billion, and it's probably more than that. It, I mean, it, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a serious uh, statistical wild. That's a swag. That's not even a swag. That's a swag. It's, it's, statistical wild-ass guess. But, you know, $16 billion, that ain't exactly chump change. And then... The, the thing is, the way you guys try to structure things, if people will let you help them, I guess is the best way to put it. It's not like, so let's say we go into Dallas and we, we can save them. What did you say it was? Now I've lost that already. 300 million? Yeah. 300 million. It's not just 300 million. It's that $300 million worth of resources that doesn't cost money to get rid of now being put into the economy as a revenue stream. And the, the, you know, the, where the one place where Keynesian economists are right is when money goes into the revenue stream in an economy, it multiplies and it does have power and it does create other effects. So if you empower another $300 million worth of revenue, 
it's not just a cost savings. It also has this effect of generating new businesses, creating new opportunities, gener- and reducing the cost, honestly, of energy. And when those things start to come together, you, you, you almost wonder why everyone's not already on board with this, but then you and I know the backstory to that. There's yeah. some reasons there. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's common sense ain't so common. And, uh, you know, and I, I was, I was being kind of disempowering about, you know, some, some, uh, the muggles, I guess, is the yeah. that we used. And somebody wisely told me, like, hey, you know, don't look at them that way. Look at them as, like, you know, fertile ground ready to, to grow. You know, it's like, yeah. So, you know, that's why I studied communication design and I've harnessed these university communication curriculums because we need to be as organized and doing the right thing. We need to, whatever sells all these cheeseburgers, you know, to kids through clowns, that process, we need to use it to sell the right thing to the masses. And so I've, I've, I've planted those seeds and I'm working diligently at it. Uh, unfortunately, most people don't really understand those processes unless they're, you know, at a giant corporation or at an ad agency. So, you know, working with the, the smaller grassroots um, organizations, they just don't understand the value of an of a integrated marketing campaign, nor do they even want to create a marketing budget to get the message out. So I'm having to kind of, sw- I've been doing that outreach and working in that, that area, but I'm, I'm switching to focusing on, on municipalities exclusively but um, we'll still do consulting for, for businesses uh, if they want to uh, talk to me about it. So it's, it's definitely uh, a ripe with potential. This is what's called a, a Blue Ocean Strategy. There's a book written. Are you familiar with uh, the Blue Ocean Strategy book? No, I'm not. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a book that was written about finding a market that's so vast you don't have to compete. And, um, yeah, so it's like the Internet, when we're, you know, if I was coming on the show back back in the day when the Internet first came out and talking about the Internet, everybody's like, what's the Internet? It was about to be, like, the biggest thing, you know, and change the game. And that's basically what Zero Waste is. It's like a conversation that's that big. You know, it's like, what do we do? What do we do now? It's a, it's a, it's a solution to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., create green jobs, uh, fix the environment. We got to make sure it doesn't, you know, get hijacked by the Agenda uh, 21 crap that that um, you know. If you do your own research, or or you, that's another show. But um, sustainable development can get hijacked, and. Uh, <laughs> So the way to keep it from getting hijacked is to make sure that everybody's educated. And so, you know, that's the training. And uh, I would love uh, for you to – I created a 10% discount code to the zero waste training coming up um, for your audience. Um, and uh, we need to start getting people trained on zero waste because that is a really big economic conversation within permaculture. So – <clears throat> the, the Blue Ocean Strategy book was written by Chan Kim, and uh, it's, it's uh, you know, angels and, and investment type folk really like using that word. They're always looking for a, a Blue Ocean Strategy. So if you're a business and you set the goal zero waste, all of a sudden you just design your, your, your business for what's next. It's that simple. 
Can, can we try to like do this in a way that might really make this all concrete for people? Let's say that I had a brand new municipality for you. Yeah. Jacktopia, right? And Jack, Jacktopia is a city of a couple million people in central Texas. And Jacktopia says, Bongo, come in and just fix it. Instead of getting in your way, we're going to empower you. We're going to help. This is like a Cinderella blue sky story. Fix our waste stream. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. I know that's never going to happen that simply, but if you had a blank slate to work with, and right now they're doing the typical thing, landfills, sewer plants, whatever, what would you build in Jacktopia if I gave you free reign, five years, and a blue sky budget to build me the ultimate sustainable zero-waste city? Uh, yeah, well, the, the, the first step is to just get a zero-waste plan, and those are pretty standard and the guys that have designed just about uh, more, more zero waste plans than anyone else in the U S would be the ones to, to do that. And, uh, I'm just learning. They're putting me under their wing and they're getting old. And, and so I'm just kind of the apprentice there. Um, so if you go to adbongo.com, you can see there it's a zero waste suite is, is what we're selling. And the first step is, is just a zero waste plan. And it's like looking at the waste, uh, figuring out what is being thrown away, and then figuring out where to put it that will get the highest and best use. And that would probably come with a, a plan for a, a resource recovery facility to replace the landfill. And then, so after that plan, then it's the, the outreach and advocacy part. Now it's time to educate the community and get them to participate. And to really do that, you're really going to have to give them incentive. And thus, we have the zero waste credit funding portion of the suite. So it's, it's, it's basically the first step is just to get a zero waste plan and identify the waste streams and where they should go and, and, and get the community involved in that conversation and start, you know, doing outreach and having uh, uh, community meetings and getting the community to p participate and um, doing a, a master plan like uh, Austin has. And um, so that's, that's the first step is the, is the zero waste plan. And for a municipality, those typically cost about 50000 uh Fort Worth issued an RFP for the entire municipal uh, solid waste plan, which that's like a million dollar uh, RFP, so it can go anywhere from 50 grand to uh, a million, depending on how big and how much. I, I understand that, John. What I'm trying to get you to more though is the part that the average person would see the results, like how you would actually use the resource, how you would take the waste, and how you would convert it to an opportunity or an energy. What would a, a, a business percolator look like built around that, or what have you? This is that moment. What would a business look like? Well, I mean, what would the what would the landscape of a city that really embraced this really look like? So, you know, take us through it. Like, so right now, what happens? We all know the garbage, the garbage shows. You come, the truck comes and it goes into a landfill. Where would the garbage go? How would the waste disposal be handled handled for water? What opportunities would it create? What what's what's the reward? So you've been talking about features. So talk about benefits. I guess is the way to put it in sales lingo. Okay, so, so right now we're, we're spending a lot of money to waste, 
and those resources aren't staying local. So what we would need to eventually have as far as infrastructure are, are things like community transfer uh, stations, like places that people can, uh, if, if the city's not, you know, providing recycling, we need to provide it to ourselves and have places to go to drop off these resources so people that want them can use them and we need uh, infrastructure to, to uh, basically a decentralized commodity exchange for that but hold on John hold on hold yeah so so take like a, a coffee shop right like Starbucks so they have what kind of waste do they have they have coffee waste so right now they throw out their coffee and it goes to the landfill well what could happen is the coffee goes to a business that uses the substrate to grow uh, shiitake mushrooms, right? Then you got all of a sudden you got a business there that sells shiitake mushrooms from coffee grains. And what the mushrooms do when they, you know, grow off that substrate, they eat uh, the substrate and then it pretty much take the methane out. And then you use it for cattle feed, you know, uh, and the, the cows don't even freaking fart because the mushrooms take you know the methane out and so it's like you can take a, a coffee shop that's just producing this so you can take this wasted substrate and make pig and cattle feed and then the the, the pig and the the cattle they they have manure and you know that can go into a, a digester and make fertilizer so you know Basically, you have this coffee that was just getting thrown away that now can, you know, make fertilizer, feed, energy, and mushrooms. And, you know, it's, it's creating a closed-loop system, and it, it's just like permaculture, but instead of uh, uh, growing, growing plants where, where this is industrial symbiosis and figuring out how to line the inputs and the outputs of, of businesses, um, Together, so there's a really awesome example uh, called called Kallenborg in, in Denmark, and uh, of a resource recovery park that does this industrial symbiosis. And uh, one in the U.S. that's really awesome to look at is called Urban Ore. Um, Dan Knapp is another uh, American hero that uh, is is famous for creating the 12th uh, market categories of zero waste, and he's also a, a resource that you know, is on, on the table to, to bring zero waste anywhere we need to bring it. So as far as a, a beer, uh, pro, uh, making, making beer, you know, you use grain and you, uh, you the spent grain, maybe you can give it to cattle and pigs and then you got methane emissions and that's about it. But with a zero waste um, system, the Ziri system, zero, zero emissions research institute, um, you can, uh, same process, you can put the manure in a digester, create fertilizer, uh, algae basins, uh, bread. You know, there's all, all kinds of processes that will create this closed-loop uh, system that just creates a lot more uh, jobs. So, And the way you're describing this, there's a lot of specialization niches here that maybe aren't going to happen in the urban downtown of Dallas. I'd like to see a lot of this stuff happen, but let's be honest, we're not going to see a big herd of cattle, you know, in, in downtown Dallas. 
Uh, we might see about six or seven Longhorns walk through Fort Worth uh, for the cattle drive, they call it. But th- there, is this partly why it's important that a city not t- try to have complete and total control of the flow like you were talking about with Dallas? Because some of this stuff for it to be effectively utilized has to go to other places, and it should go to whoever can best utilize it and put it to use now rather than somebody trying to control it just for the sake of controlling it. Yeah, definitely. Decentralization is, is really important, which is, is why I like the, uh, I really am excited about the uh, uh, crypto uh, economy, the digital economy, because it, just the technology allows for these decentralized commodity exchanges and the uh, uh, sourcing of, of, of local commodities. So we plug that in, and, that, and that's kind of our sustainable funding uh, module of our zero waste suite that we put together with uh, permacredits and um, you know so so there's a lot of uh, uh, potential and you know we just gotta convince the right people and get out there and ask our municipalities to set the goal uh, to create the task force uh, to investigate the merits of the goal and uh, if, if, if you guys uh, can recommend at Bongo to, to do the plan, then, then awesome. Uh, that's what we're selling. And uh, we have the, the people that have, have done it on the team. And uh, we're local Texas and have, have been in this conversation for a couple, many years now. And uh, I'm making it, you know, my whole life. I love permaculture. It comes uh, very natural. Um, and, you know, I have children and, you know, I'm just trying to to create the world that that I want for them. And uh, it would just be nice to have uh, collaboration uh, and, and less, you know, basically this debt economy. We've all been brought up on 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 competition and uh, I call that the red ocean, you know, uh, and the red ocean is filled with trash and, and sharks. You know, it's like let's let's build the blue ocean that's kind of limited potential and uh, where we don't have to compete. We can collaborate because we clearly define our niches. And uh, so the, the, my niche is, is zero waste within the permaculture community. And um, so uh, if anyone wants to collaborate with us, uh, that's, that's our niche. And um, we're having some training in the fall. You can go to adbongo.com and and just go to the store and see the, the training things. We did a coupon code survival for you, 10% off. And, um, you know, it's just time to get trained and and, and, uh, and figure out how we can define our community, get these resources to where they will create the most local economics. Well, John, I appreciate you being with us on the air today. And, uh, again, the website is at bongo.com, and it's spelled just like it sounds, A-D-B-O-N-G-O.com. You guys are awesome, man, and I'm glad to see that you guys are still in the fight and actually making some headways in progress because I know back when I worked with you several years ago, you, you had a lot of really great things going, but you ran into a lot of resistance. And I know you're still hitting resistance, but you're also getting some things done. And that's awesome, man. So I appreciate all the work you're doing, uh, and uh, I appreciate you being with us on the air today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Jack. You're an awesome uh, example and uh, uh, leader, and uh, God bless you. Well, John, again, thanks for being on the air. And with that, folks, this has been Jack Spearco today along with John Bush, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or if they don't.
Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Show you.